Welcome into the Bear Down Podcast here on the ESPN Chicago app. I'm Chris Black, along with Adam Abdallah. You can listen to our show weeknights, Black and Abdallah, 6 to 8, right here on ESPN 1000. We have the Bear Down Podcast Tuesdays and Thursdays, talking Bears football and the NFL. And today, Abdal, we have a special guest, one of our favorite football people to join us here on the show, Brett Coleman from The Film Room on YouTube. You can also follow him at Brett Coleman. We love talking football with Brett Coleman. Yeah, absolutely. His stuff on YouTube is great. His film breakdown of quarterbacks and everything offense and defense is something that, trust me, you should check out, and it's a pleasure to talk to Brett. Last time we talked to Brett, it was about uh, right after the NFL draft. Early May was the last time we talked, and so we bring Brett in and on the podcast, and we asked him, how do you view this Bears team now after the draft, you're in training camp, and now you're heading towards the regular season? You know, I kind of see a lot of parallels between what the Lions are building, and they're, you know, a year ahead of the Bears, uh, and, and what the Bears are trying to build, which is, you know, we're getting a lot of bad contracts off the book. I think they're going to have, what, $100 million in cap space next year. Um, they really wanted to bite the bullet this year, and when they drafted, they just focused on taking good players. I know that a lot of people were, you know, just like Lions fans again a couple of years ago, there, there was really not a whole lot of receiving talent. They they wanted weapons, they needed weapons, and instead the Lions just drafted the best players on the board. And they knew that as long as they could just keep stacking talent, regardless of position, they were eventually going to have money to fill in uh, fill in the rest through free agency. And I think the Lions, if you look at them last year, you know, even though they didn't win a whole lot of games, they were in a lot of games, and they were a legitimate nuisance for a lot of teams. I mean, it took the Baltimore Ravens a record-setting game-winning field goal just to beat them. And there was a whole lot of games that very easily, which is one bounce of the ball, could have gone the other way. They could have been a six- or seven-win team. And I think the Bears are going to be kind of the same thing this year, where they're going to be in games. They might not win a whole lot of them, but I think they're not going to get blown out like maybe we've seen uh, in the last couple of years. I think they are going to be a legitimate, tough team to beat, even though ultimately they probably will lose a bunch of games. But next year is where they're going to have a whole bunch of money. You know, Justin Fields will be in year three. They'll be able to spend on whoever they need to spend to come fill out the roster. And, oh, by the way, they're actually going to have a lot more picks again to work with. So I think that 2023 is really the target year here in 2022, just like the Lions last year, is more about building culture, you know, getting guys to buy into a new regime and just, you know, playing hard and and putting what you got on tape to try to save your roster spot for 2023. Yeah, and obviously wins and losses don't really matter as much this season as long as, like you said, you're in games like the Lions were last year. But for us, the reason we're looking at more of a a team that's on kind of on par wins-wise with what they were last year, you know, six wins last year, maybe they can get to seven or eight this year, is because of Justin Fields. And I think that Justin Fields is kind of, obviously he's the X factor because the Lions don't have a Justin Fields. And if you look at the teams on the Bears' schedule, they don't have Justin Fields. I think we're higher on Justin Fields than some. But I think that he can be, as long as he's making progress this year, what have you seen, what have you read from the offseason about him, and what's your take on how he can fit into a new system working with Luke Getze, who worked with Aaron Rodgers the last couple years? You know, he's just absolutely dynamic. And I know there were a lot of growing pains last year, and a lot of that truth be told, was 
on the coaching staff. They did not do a good job of protecting him. And by that, I mean not just, you know, with the offensive linemen they had on the field. There was a whole bunch of injuries, so they were, you know, rotating starters constantly. But in terms of the actual pass protection schemes, like, I'm sorry, there's no way that a tight end should be blocking Miles Garrett one-on-one. That's on the coaching staff. They really relied way too much on empty protections and just hoping that a 40-year-old Jason Peters was going to be able to hold up all season long. And even though Jason played well, um, that's just not a realistic you know, thing to try of we're just going to do a whole bunch of five-man protections and, and hope Justin survives. This year, I think based on based on the type of offense that Getsy's coming from, I think it's going to be more uh, more emphasizing six and seven-man pass protections. You know, the play-action pass game, just keeping uh, keeping as many bodies in to protect Justin Fields as possible and staying away from all the spread stuff that got him in trouble, even though I know obviously he played in the spread at Ohio State. like They also were able to out-talent a whole bunch of people at Ohio State. So I think it's going to be a lot more condensed of an offense. It's going to be more focused on running the ball, play action, RPOs. If Justin's going to be on the move, it's going to be off those bootlegs. And I think that's going to go a long way in terms of protecting Justin from himself and kind of, um, what's the word, not constraining him, but I think more just focusing him in terms of the half-field reads that he has instead of full-field reads, and so you're just reading deep, middle, short, and if nothing's there, you just use your legs. It's the same kind of offense that we've seen quarterbacks in the past have a lot of success with in a wide variety of places, whether San Francisco, L.A., uh, Cincinnati, Green Bay. It's the same kind of stuff they're going to do here, and I think, for Justin's sake, it's awesome. You know, when we look at the protection there, Brett, and, and you say, uh, you look at this group, and theoretically on paper, there are some publications saying they're the worst group uh, of offensive linemen in the entire league. Uh, Ryan Poles is bringing in bodies as camp is starting. It, is it possible that a group of guys that on paper looks terrible, we could get through halfway of the season based on the protection, based on the schemes, based on the offense, that they could actually put together and piece together a good season from the offensive line? Is that something that we see ever in the NFL? Oh, 100%. And and just like I alluded to last time, not not trying to just protect with five and not doing all these empty protections that force you into these one-on-ones and make it really hard to pick up stunts and blitzes and all that kind of stuff. Keeping the running back into protect, keeping tight ends into protect, you know, going with, um, you know, six offensive linemen instead of a tight end at sometimes if you need to. The more bodies you have in protection, the better you're going to do because you're not isolating you know, say Cody Whitehair on Kenny Clark, or you're not, you know, isolating Michael Schofield, who's been here for like a week and a half, or you're not isolating Riley Reef or, you know, God forbid, Braxton Jones or Larry Borum, you know, giving them chip help, being able to have enough bodies to do a four-man slide instead of a three-man slide into a three-man game. All that kind of stuff is so big for keeping Justin alive. You just need bodies in to protect. And I know that then the concern that people are going to have is, okay, well, if you're only rece- uh, releasing three receivers out of the route, how is anybody going to get open? That's where it's going to be on Justin to read and see, okay, am I getting a man look? Am I getting a zone look? Because you can still have three receivers out in the route and win. You just need to know exactly what coverage you're going to be looking at so that you know how – 
let's see, how do I phrase this? How to use those three receivers. You know, like if you're getting a man look um, and you have like a stack or something like that, being able to give a signal to that stack for a man breaker at the line of scrimmage, you don't necessarily need five guys out in the route to then get open. So it's all on Justin to read it. And it's on, you know, the coaches to give him as much protection as possible, six and seven guys. And you can still be really successful with that style of offense. You do great work on the film room on YouTube. And when we get to the middle of January and putting all of that stuff together, you know, the wide receivers, the lack of weapons that Justin Fields has, the offensive line being kind of, you know, pieced together as the season goes along. When we get to the middle of January and you're doing your work and recapping the season for these quarterbacks, what are you going to look at from Justin Fields to see if he's taken that step to become a franchise quarterback that we in Chicago hope that he is? Honestly, again, it's going to come down to pre-snap, and how he handles post-snap rotations. So pre-snap, he's going to be – I'm assuming that he's going to be setting protections at the line. Pre-snap, he's going to need to resist the urge to do things that other young quarterbacks in the past have done, like Joe Burrow, where you know they spread things out and then they leave themselves vulnerable with five on six up front or even five on five up front. He needs to be able to – make the correct pre-snap read in terms of the front that he's getting and whatever potential pressure he's getting, which means he's going to have to read the safeties really well. And he needs pre-snap to protect himself with good protection calls. And then post-snap, if he's getting a rotation, which believe me, he will get a lot of rotations because that gave him trouble in college. It gave him trouble last year. He needs to get better at identifying those rotations and not even just knowing exactly what coverage it is, but based on the rotations, you can get a general sense of where the space is going to be if you're getting middle field closed versus middle field open. And being able to read those rotations and just knowing where to go with the ball immediately is going to be big for him too. So the development I'm hoping to see is setting the correct protection and reading post-snap rotations the right way. When we look at uh, around the National Football League, a, a team that most publications is suggesting as the number one team in power rankings heading into the season, uh, the, the Vegas odds also suggest this is a team that's a, a favorite to get to the Super Bowl. It would be the Buffalo Bills, and, and their offense is great. They have a great quarterback, good coaching staff. Is, is there a fatal flaw that you see from the Buffalo Bills heading into the season that you say, uh, that might get them if it doesn't go right? To be honest, not really. <laughs> you know, they, they've, they, they only had a few select weaknesses uh, last year. You know, the interior uh, defensive line wasn't amazing against the run, but they've, they've done a pretty good job of shoring that up. You know, their, their number two corner was just okay, and now I think their number two corner situation behind Tredavious White's even better this year. They drafted Kyrie Ilham in the first round, who's awesome. Dane Jackson is a young player out of pit. I think it's year three for him now. Uh, and he's really showing a lot. They have a, an elite nickel in Teron Johnson, and obviously their safety duo with Hayden uh, Poyer is amazing as well. So other than that, which they fixed, i.e. I. interior run defense, there really wasn't a whole lot that, that you could get on them for. And so, no, I do think that this team is as close to having no weaknesses as you can possibly have. They're talented in all 22 starters. They're exceptionally deep. Their special teams is very well coached. I think that if there was ever a time for them to make a run and, you know, win maybe 14, 15 games, as crazy as that sounds, you know, get the first seed, march all the way to the Super Bowl, 
they could do that. But I think this year is the year they have to do that because they got some contract issues coming up that they're going to have to deal with. So it's kind of now or never for them. A team that we've been talking about that people have told us uh, on other shows and podcasts that they have a Super Bowl caliber roster is the Philadelphia Eagles, except for Jalen Hurts. Uh, how do you feel about Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles' chances this year? And see, I wouldn't say except for Jalen Hurts personally, because I look at a kid who's gotten better every single year since he was 18 years old at Alabama and won SEC Freshman of the Year. You know, back then he won SEC Freshman of the Year because he was so prolific at running the ball, but he's gotten better as a passer every year since then. Uh, even when Tua, you know, took over the back or took over the starting job at Bama and Hertz was coming in as a backup in virtually every game because they're blowing people out, he was still one of the three most accurate quarterbacks in the entire nation as a backup at Alabama, and he got significant snaps there. And then he went to OU and continued being incredibly accurate. Uh, at OU and then he got drafted to Philly and you know he had some rookie growing pains here and there but he still beat a very good Saints team his first ever start Um, you know got a little bit better his second year and you know now with the best complement of weapons that he's had ironically since he was at Alabama when they had four future first round receivers the best complement of weapons he's had the best offensive line he's ever had they have a great run game should be an improved defense I don't necessarily want to bet against Jalen Hurts once again getting better for the eighth year in a row and the Eagles going on a serious run here. The NFC is a lot uh, – they're not as deep as the AFC, so I think that there is room for the Eagles to make a run at the first seed. It's going to be tough. There's some, some pretty good teams at the top, but they have the talent, and in my opinion, they have the quarterback to do it. When you stick in the same division, this will be the seventh season Dak Prescott is the starter for the Dallas Cowboys. What do you see from the Cowboys? They went 12-5 and five last year. They get to the playoffs. Can they advance any farther this year? You know, they're a good team. Uh, I want to stress that first. They're a good team. But also, they had a little bit of a rough offseason. And I think a lot of the, the additions, if you can call them that, especially in the draft, that they made were really just filling in gaps that they already lost in March. You know, Randy Gregory leaving uh, necessitated the Sam Williams pick from Ole Miss. And who's to say he's even going to be as good as Randy Gregory, who's a really good edge rusher. You know, Michael Gallup is hopefully going to be back from injury halfway through the year. But, you know, you, you have to trade away Amari. And so you're, you're kind of first six games of the year, you're hoping that Jalen Tolbert can come in uh, and be an effective starter for you, which long-term, I'm very high on Jalen Tolbert. But again, is he going to be Amari Cooper in his first game in the NFL? Probably not. So I think that there, there is a lot of talent they lost, and they did the best possible job they could in terms of backfilling in those gaps. But I don't necessarily think they got better in the offseason. Still likely a playoff team, but they did not take the same leap forward that the Eagles did, where not only did they fill in holes, but they got better at a whole bunch of other areas along the way. Is there a team that made the playoffs last year that you think is most likely to regress this year? Ooh, ooh, that's tough. Mm. You know, the, the, one, the one team that we pointed to is Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Like Cincinnati's run last year was pretty incredible. It would be hard to believe that they'd be able to do the same thing. So, like, that's the team that comes up time and time again. Um, Arizona, too, has come up. Yeah, we, yeah, that's right. Arizona, I would definitely buy because when you look at their offensive efficiency with and without DeAndre Hopkins on the field, like they've always kind of, you know, used DeAndre Hopkins as a, as a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
as that static X receiver, you just leave on the left side of the field. If it's third and seven, you just say, okay, go win, DeAndre. Well, he's not going to be there the first six weeks. And so you're looking at potentially a starting receiving core where the tallest guy is like 5'9", 180. Like it might be the smallest skill position group in the entire league for almost half the year. Not to mention, there's still, I think, some questions on defense that need answering, particularly at linebacker. The secondary is good. Um, but, you know, they got to replace Chandler Jones at edge. They're kind of platooning their edge rushers this year. they got some young guys that they're hoping can step up. There's just a lot of questions there with Arizona that without some of their, their stars on the field for the first half of the year, they could probably fall behind in the NFC West there, and I don't know if they could catch up. You know, we we, uh, we all watch college football, and, and Cliff Kingsbury's time at Texas Tech was uh, not – uh, great. I mean, he he was like a 500 coach. He he bounces the USC as an offensive coordinator. He's there for like two weeks, and he gets his Cardinals gig. When you look at Cliff Kingsbury, the play caller and the the head coach, what do you make of it? Uh, they are one of the most confusing teams in the league. <laughs> you know, there there was a, a great point that my podcast co's made where. Uh, I believe it was Doug Farrar from USA uh, USA Today first pointed out where they are in the bottom third in the league in terms of using motion, which is you know something that's fairly important these days. Motion is absolutely critical, and it's it's a proven correlation to offensive efficiency in terms of how much you move guys around before the snap. They're in the bottom third in the league in terms of doing that, but they're in the top third of the league in terms of efficiency when they do it. So we know it's effective for them. They just don't do it. They're a very static offense. They're a very this is going to sound odd to say for a, a you know a spread air raid whatever you, label you want to use for it offense which is quote unquote the modern thing but they don't run a modern version of it it's very static they don't move around they don't use a lot of motion they barely attack the middle of the field because Kyler Murray just doesn't like to do it so you know how often can you throw a speed out against an off quarter and expect that to work in the NFL like eventually they're going to pick your pocket so. I don't really know what to make of the Cardinals. I feel like they've they've done a poor job of doing in season adjustments the last you know few years. Once people figure them out, which normally they do, and then they just don't make any you know counter adjustments after Thanksgiving. It has gotten them in trouble every single year. So you know, hopefully this year they do make those adjustments. But I'm not holding out hope. Now the Bears will see the 49ers in week one, and Kyle Shanahan and, and the 49ers have decided to go with Trey Lance. What can you take away from their decision to go with Trey Lance, and how do you think he'll do in his first full season after really not playing a whole lot of football for two full years? You know, I think uh, as soon as the 49ers lost that Super Bowl to the Chiefs where they played well for, you know, what was it, 40 minutes of that game, maybe even more, but they got outplayed by the dynamism of Pat Mahomes in the fourth quarter. And I think that really sent a message uh, that you can have the perfect game plan, you can be efficient, but if you don't have a guy who can just be dynamic and make plays in impossible situations, you're probably not going to win the ring. You know, looking last year, Matt Stafford, he's not as mobile as Pat, but he's as dynamic a playmaker as a thrower as you're going to see in the NFL. I mean, he won that game last year. Uh, in the Super Bowl with a no-look pass over the middle to Cooper Cup. Like, you you need dudes who can just make plays. And every general manager in the league, you know, watched that Chiefs-Bills game where you just got these, you know, two aliens going at it with haymakers over and over and over again. 
that's what every team is chasing is just dynamic quarterback play. And so, you know, will Trey Lance work out? Who knows? But his physical profile at least gives you hope that he can be that kind of dynamic playmaker where even if it's not drawn up perfectly, he can still just make it work. That's what Shanahan's chasing because that's what's beaten him in multiple Super Bowls and multiple chances at Super Bowls over the last 10 years. And I think he's tired of of not being dynamic at quarterback. That is the main goal here. And it's also tied into Chicago why a lot of Bears fans are excited about Justin Fields because sure. ideally he can be that kind of guy too. Right, and, and they're all chasing uh, that kind of goal is to try and put that together with what Reed and Mahomes have. And I feel, you know, on the on the flip side, we saw what the Rams did last year, and they're the team that beat the 49ers right in the uh, NFC Championship game. They're in the same division. I mean, the, the Rams have done this differently than everyone else in the NFL, right? They, they continue to kick the can down the road when it comes to taking on a lot of money for high-priced players. But when you get the collection of talent, uh, talented players together and you have a quarterback in Matthew Stafford, who we could argue is a top-10 quarterback, it, it worked, and it has to work when you dedicate all of those resources to building out a team and you don't have first-round draft picks. What do you make of the Rams getting their Super Bowl and then now defending their Super Bowl this season? You know, they have a unique advantage across the league in terms that they have an owner that's worth, what, $25 billion? So money is just a fictional concept to them. They can move around contracts any which way they want. It's very similar to the Saints, where as long as you're willing to throw $100 million into escrow every single year, which that's chump change for them, the cap doesn't really apply because you can always just redo things and, as you mentioned, kick the can down the road. And you're really only limited by your owner's pocketbook. The actual cap only matters for owners that are maybe worth less than $5 billion, which I know this sounds like super disconnected from reality. But there's two levels of ownership right. in the NFL. It's the owners that don't have $100 million to just throw into escrow every year, and it's the owners that do. And the owners that do can spend whatever they want, and it doesn't matter. So, yeah, the Rams don't need first-round picks. They don't need any of the traditional resources that teams need to build from the bottom up because they have all the money to just skip that step. And if they get into cap trouble, they can buy their way out of it. So they're a completely different situation than most of the league, which is why how they build their roster doesn't apply to most of the league. When we look at the AFC West, how do you think that shakes out? Because it, it should be the most competitive division in all football with the Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, and the Broncos now with Russell Wilson. This is probably the hardest division to pick in the entire league because they might have four top 10 quarterbacks in one division, which is insane. For now, I'm kind of defaulting to picking the Chiefs until proven otherwise because they have the best head coach, they have the best quarterback, and they did do a great job of leveraging the assets they got from the Tyreek Hill trade you know, into kind of restocking the cupboard. They, re- they did a really good job of rebuilding the secondary, bringing in Reed and you know, uh, drafting McDuffie, and they got a, a kid out of Fayetteville State, Joshua Williams, who's played really well. So their secondary's reloaded. They drafted Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, who my buddies at Western Michigan raved about before the draft. They said he was a legitimate NFL starter from basically the time he was a junior, and so far that's proven true. Sky Moore has obliterated everyone in camp, including the Chiefs' own secondary. So I think that their ability to draft well this year 
while not spending $30 million on Tyreek Hill, as good as he is. I think that's kind of kept them in position to not just be competitive in the AFC West, but potentially win the AFC West again because they got themselves out of that cycle of paying, what, $120 million for four players on the roster. So that was a great trade for them. They got a whole bunch of talent, and they're still as deep and talented as ever. Brian, if our listeners go to the film room on YouTube, what will they find? What are the latest projects that you're working on? So right now I'm working on a lot of you know fantasy content and just really stuff on uh, a whole bunch of rookie running backs that are probably going to do really well this year. So it's like hybrid fantasy slash film study. Next week I'm taking a look at Kenny Pickett uh, and you know kind of how he's played as the only first round pick at quarterback this year. Uh, he actually had a pretty good preseason week one. I'm looking forward to see what he does in week two. I think uh, Kenny Pickett as QB three in Pittsburgh might not last that long. He's he's looked pretty good. All right, your, your, listen. Your mouth to our ears, man, because like the the t- you would think that Trubisky's been gone. We had about he's Trubisky. been gone for two years, and you, he's got so many people here that are still like, look at Steelers after the Steelers tweet something positive about it's Trubisky. Look at the mentions from Chicago fans that are still trying They're to make obsessed. this guy legit. They're obsessed. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what: if Trubisky not only starts but plays well. The only person that it really looks bad for is Matt Nagy. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, thank you again, Brett. Thanks for taking time to talk football with us. We always love it. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me.